stories that expose the haunting dilemmas journalists face as we help write that famous first draft of history. Year after year, my work takes me to the world's most beautiful places at the worst of times. I visit with people at their lowest moments and tell their stories as best I can while trying to cast light on the larger issues. At a time when the problems of strangers seem a world away, I try to answer the question, why should we care? Sometimes the pictures tell the story. Sometimes a word or two artfully mixed with a surprising juxtaposition does the job. Usually you can't do better than let a person reveal himself. But however I do it, my job is to help people care about other people. Unfortunately, this isn't as morally clear-cut as it sounds. My work has led me again and again into pretty dicey territory— For instance, how callous can one be as a journalist seeking a story? I face that conundrum every day, and haven't always handled it with flying colours. When Turkey invaded Cyprus in 1974, my sound man trod on a landmine just three feet from me and was killed in the explosion. Moments later, another of my good friends trod on another landmine and vanished in flame and smoke. When I overcame my astonishment that I was still alive... I realized I had filmed it all. I hadn't helped. In a refugee camp in Wadkauli on the Sudan border, I saw a man holding his starving infant. I happened to look into his eyes at the very moment he glanced down and realized that his child had just died in his arms. The man looked up and our eyes met. Tears sprang to his eyes, as they did to mine. After all, at that time I had a child the same age as his. But I didn't move forward to comfort him or even make a consoling gesture. As the man began to wail and stumbled away with his dead infant, I instinctively rushed off to find my cameraman and told him to follow the guy until he buried the kid. Great sequence. In Cyprus I was filming people in a deep ditch digging out a mass grave, Parts of stiff bodies stuck out of the packed mud in grotesque poses, like one of those artworks where a head and chest emerge from a wall. Everything was grey and dark and monotone, and my only response as they uncovered a woman's body was to think, Oh, good, she's got a red dress on, some colour for the picture. Getting a good story while maintaining one's humanity is difficult, yet it is hardly the only ethical challenge I've faced. For instance, how polite should I be when interviewing someone responsible for killing up to two million Cambodians? Is it wrong to stay in the home of a brutal Somali warlord, eating lavish food prepared by his Italian-trained chef, in order to report on, among other things, his theft of the same food from international aid organizations? And critically for a young man with a growing family, how can one witness every imaginable horror and not take it out on the wife and kids? This book does not offer solutions to these dilemmas, because there aren't any. All you can do is feel your way as best you can. And yet, if I continue to cover wars after all these years, it is because I believe that, all things considered, I've done more good than harm. Given the great challenges facing humanity today, as well as all the mindless distractions that impede us, it's critical to remind ourselves of what's really important. Human beings and the dire struggles for survival so many face every day. And that's what war correspondents do. 
The adventures in this audiobook will, I hope, offer hours of entertainment. Yet I will have failed if, in the very process of capturing listeners' imaginations, I have not also left them with a keener and more visceral sense of the world's pain. I will have failed if listeners do not feel a new gratitude for the blessings they already enjoy, a sense that, as bad as life may be, it could always be a lot worse. That, in the end, is what I take away from all these years of murder and mayhem, which made me a connoisseur of sorrow. I dedicate breaking news to my father, a reader, who knew great sorrow. He would suck mints, stroke his Snoopy doll, and doze off among piles of open books. He would dip in and out of volumes on comparative religion, European history, modern psychology, Talmudic thought, fiction by Oscar Wilde and Goethe, and plays by Moliere and Aristophanes reading...